Well, good morning, All Shores. So good to be here with you this morning. I'm going to invite you, if you're here with us in person, will you stand and join us? We're just going to begin our morning by celebrating the God of revival, the God who is living, who wants to meet with us here today. Let's just get our hearts in a place of readiness for what he has for us.
Oh, man. 
That at the name of Jesus, Lord, darkness has to flee. Darkness is not welcomed. And at the same time, you do a work within each of us. As we proclaim your name, you bring your goodness to us. 
your love for us as your children. Now, God, as we uh, continue worshiping, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit, who is living and active, to come and move in each of our hearts today. May we slow down enough, Lord, to hear you speak to us, to feel your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name.
church. Pour your spirit out. Cry out to me. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. I love those songs we just sang. There's something about summertime that before I worked in a church, I felt like summer was really busy and I got very tired. Um, I wasn't really involved in church as much or I wouldn't uh, really engage in my spiritual walk as much. And so there's something about these songs that are all about just waking up to the power of the Lord. And maybe you're feeling that right now. Summer gets just so busy, you're almost falling asleep just, just from the chaos of it all. This morning, I want to show you and tell you about something that God was doing that seems impossible. We got a prayer request from the McFredericks family, which is a missionary's family that we support in the Czech Republic. They held a camp for students there where the point is to teach them about Jesus. And one of the students has come to faith. She's a new believer. And this was their prayer request. Please pray for her because her classmates will not associate with her if they know that she's made this choice. Going home to family and letting them know that this is the life that she chooses to live is going to be hard because society will likely reject her. But she's being bold and she's making that choice for the Lord. They also have asked us to pray for the Ukrainian refugees all across Europe because they want to be able to encourage them and there's so many language barriers. But the amazing thing is that to God, none of those things are barriers. Nothing about what I've just shared looked impossible to him. And so as we sang about the power of the Lord, I want you to know that as we go into this time of prayer, he wants to have that same power over your life. There is nothing impossible. Maybe, you know, like for me, sometimes it's just getting back into a routine with God after the summer and all the busyness. Maybe that's what you're praying for this morning. But maybe it's something really, really heavy, something really specific that you would like prayer for. If you're here with us um, in person, I would just ask if that's you and there's something that you really want to be rid of and just give to God, that you take a seat right now this morning. You may see some people reach hands out to you or lay hands on you. What we're doing is letting you know that this is a church body that cares and wants to pray over you. And even if you're not sitting this morning, we're praying for you and anything that you're carrying this morning. So now we'll just talk to God. Lord, I thank you so much for your power and how you do the impossible. I pray for anything that people are carrying this morning that they haven't wanted to give up to you. Show them how incredible and awesome it is to experience your power and how light life becomes when we just let go. I pray for closeness, for peace, comfort, and joy for everyone here, that it sticks, that it goes with them this week and it doesn't just stay in this building. But I pray not just for this building and not just for this congregation, but what you're doing in local churches all around us. This morning, we're specifically praying for First Presbyterian Church in Grand Haven, that you are doing work there, that your favor is on them, you're providing and you're bringing your peace and your joy there. In the same way that we've seen you move in the Czech Republic, we're praying for that to continue, Lord, but to also give this family strength to continue to reach the people of Czech. For this, for this student who's stepping out in faith, Lord, give her comfort and courage to stand for you. 
And for the rest of this time this morning, I'm praying that you speak directly to our hearts and to our situations, that we feel seen here by you, and that we can take that into our weeks. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are welcome to take a seat. Thank you so much for joining. If you're right here in the room or if you're online, we're really, really glad you're with us this morning. And we don't just say that, we really mean it. Uh, we're trying to build community, especially in a time post-COVID, but we don't want a community that just looks like church. We want it to feel like family. And if you're looking for some next steps and ways to grow in relationship with this church or our programs, the best way we know that that's possible is for you to fill out our connection card so that we know you're here. There's a QR code on the seat backs here, or you can do that online as well. Um, that's just a way for us to, to get your full name and to know you're in the room in case you just slip in and slip out. Uh, but there's also a chance for you to see the things that are going on in our church. For example, how many of you guys know what's happening later today at 5 o'clock? Baptisms. So we have an incredible number of 10 people that are declaring their salvation, doing this publicly. We want their church family to surround them and be there for them in this incredible time of transformation. So tonight at five o'clock at Ross Park, we would love to see you there. Um, and also if you have filled out a connection card or you get our weekly emails, um, one thing that we talk about is just our yearly budget. And so you would have seen in the email this last week that our general budget is behind. And so as we go into a time of tithing and offering, we're just asking that if you consider yourself a regular attender of All Shores and a part of the family, that you just pray and ask how God might be leading you to help fill this deficit. And if not, if you're new here, if this is your first time, welcome. Um, or even if you're just trying it out for a few times, we're so glad you're here and there is no pressure to give. This is, our hope is that this service is a gift to you instead. We now have a couple announcements if you wanna turn to the screens. Hey church, we are so excited for our current series, Finding Our Place in God's Family. We're gonna have a major outplay of this series be a one-night journey event Tuesday, August 30th from 6 to 8 at every campus. We'll have child care available. We'll have snacks available. And we'll be walking people through the journey. The journey is for people who maybe feel disconnected or maybe you don't feel like you've plugged in. Maybe, maybe you're new. We would love to help you find your place at All Shores. And we're gonna be walking people through steps one and two of the journey. Step one is all about our mission, our vision, our values, both where we've been as a church and where we're going in the future. Step two is all about your personality and your spiritual gifts assessment, that God has given you a unique design. We wanna help you discover that. So if that's you, if you're interested, we would love to get you pre-registered for this event at your campus. All you have to do is go to allshores.org slash the journey and register today.
Well, I want to welcome those joining us online and all of you here as well in our Spring Lake campus. And in just a minute, I'll invite you to pray before we open the scriptures. We're in week two of a series uh, really all about finding our place, being com- coming a part simply of God's family. Uh, and, and before we do that, <clears throat> I had a wonderful beginning to my day, and I simply want to celebrate it with you and, and give thanks. You know those moments when God breaks in. So I'm leaving pretty early to come here, and one of my friends uh, who actually attends here is taking a walk on the other side of the, the street. We live on a, a, one of the routes around uh, Spring Lake. And uh, so I in- interrupt him because he's got his in-ears in. Hey, how you doing? And he begins to kind of get very excited and tell me. Now, uh, they have, his family has three generations here. So he and his wife, both his son and daughter and their kids are here. And they were celebrating, which I don't want you to say anything yet, but they were celebrating because their grandson was born. What you don't know, though, is he was born at 36 weeks. At 20 weeks, they got a catastrophic diagnosis from the uh, pediatrician that this baby and even their daughter was in deep jeopardy. And we're very concerned that one or both could pass away because of the tenuousness of the pregnancy. So at 20 weeks to... 36, there were many people just praying day and day and day and day and day. So when he told me that baby was born, I thought, I woke up to a miracle today. That is awesome. Yeah. And I want to say it this way. We give thanks when God moves and we keep crying when he doesn't. This is not an all or nothing. It's we keep asking. And we're going to give thanks. And I hope it builds our faith because it built me this morning going on pump. So even if I'm an idiot to what to say, we're just going to trust God's going to move. Amen. I didn't need it that strongly, but thank you. (laughs) That's good. I want to invite you to pray. We don't believe it's about persuasion or information. We think it's about revelation. So whether you're here with doubts, whether you're here with skepticism, whether you're here saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, just bring to him what it is, your posture, your need, your question, your longing today. You pray, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I thank you that you love each person here more than they could ever really know, but I pray they will continue to know and and more deeply understand. So I'm asking that you'd pursue them today, that they would have a sense of your presence, of your love, of your guidance. I pray for any of us who are disheartened or disappointed or struggling that you'd bring hope. I pray where we've become comfortable and even somewhat hardened to others, you'd soften us and in a good way, make us uncomfortable. And Lord, more than anything, I'm asking you to reveal yourself, to reveal Jesus to us. However, wherever, in whatever way you want to, let me not get in the way. So if I have anything that I say causes confusion, let it fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever is of you, Lord, may your spirit breathe life, breathe purpose, bring meaning, breathe revelation to us. And we're asking very simply that we would become the church and the people you've made us to be. We ask this in the name and the power of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I want to ask you just to consider something today. How unique are you? And do you think of yourself as unique from anyone else? Like, look around for a minute if you're in the room. And if you're at home, I guess look around who's in the house. If you're by yourself, take a phone out and look at people. 
You're different than other people, aren't you? You're unique. We'd all say that, wouldn't we? And in this day and age, more and more we want to be considered unique like no other person. And do you ever have it where you both feel unique and then in some ways you feel like everybody else? So this happens to me because pastors, we get painted with a brush. And so when people describe what a pastor is, I'm like, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. And sometimes we even try to do things as simple as dressing differently, hoping that'll be different. And then you go to a conference, you're like, why does every person look just like me? I'm not so unique. Do you find that to be true? Like, we want to be something special and unique. And we are. I'm not diminishing that. But we don't understand what is both unique and what is collective. So we've been in this series that we began last week about finding our place in God's family. What's unique and what's connected about us? And one of the parts for me last week, as I listened to Evan, it was such a great beginning to our series that he brought looking at this new family God's making. I don't know what it's like for you, but sometimes when someone's speaking or I'm reading scripture, something will kind of jump out at me and grab my attention. And Evan made this statement toward the end of his message talking about maybe what keeps us from being connected. And he said, it's the space between us. It was a simple statement. And he talked about how we don't necessarily want to be connected. We want to be on our own. But it also got me thinking about that the space between us, the connectedness we have, what happens between us is something that's powerful and sacred that we don't understand. In in other words, when we're together, something happens that can't happen alone. The space between us is beautiful because God does something how we connect through that space. And that's where we want to continue to go today is understanding what has God designed in this new family? What does he have for us? And so we're in this letter that Paul, one of our earliest church leaders, writes to the church in Ephesus. That's what it's known as, is Ephesians. Though we'll come back to just kind of its general writing about it, uh, just for some background. So I'm going to take us to a different section in Ephesians. It's in chapter 3, if you're paying attention. The verses will all be on the screen. But (laughs) I was watching this movie this week called Uncharted, and don't worry, I won't spoil the movie, but, well, I don't really care if you don't like me spoiling the movie, but I won't. Uh, So the movie begins, and it takes you to a a much later scene. It's a a very crisis-oriented scene in the movie, and all of a sudden, it doesn't resolve. It leaves with a cliffhanger, and then you go back earlier, and you have to go all the way through to find out what's going to happen, which for a person who's anxious when they don't like something, that's not a fun way to start a movie. So I just wanted you to know, I decided to start the text that way for you to make you endure what I endure in my movie. So we're going to start at the end of the passage. Now I realize you can look back, but I actually found it kind of interesting when we end this section of Paul's letter, uh, he's going to say therefore at the beginning of this last verse, and he's going to explain what he's trying to accomplish by all these things coming before. And all I'm going to want you to do is listen to what he says at the end, we'll ponder it a little bit, and then think what might he have said before that, why would he say this? That's where we're going to go. Okay, so we're going to start at the end. Ephesians 3, verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. So we know one of them is to give them courage, very simply. Because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, this does not take a deep theological understanding, an academic prowess. What he's saying is, hey, I just don't want you to be down. I am suffering for you. And by the way, that's elevating you and it's glorifying. Does that sound weird to anybody else? My suffering helps your glory. You do realize that's confusing in our day and age, right? That is not how we live. It's not how we think. It's very contradictory. Yet he's also saying knowing this should give you courage and should give you excitement and enthusiasm. 
So I want to start just simply here, because this is very important to how we understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it is to be a Christian, and what the church has lived like. Suffering and glory go together. They're both part of the Christian life. And we typically think Jesus suffered, so I have a good life. Jesus died, so I can have fun. Jesus, so I'm going to be ahead. That is not true. And Paul's kind of hearkening to this. There's a, a weirdness in this. What does all this mean? It's confusing. I don't understand it. But I want to take you back a little bit to Paul's story to give you a bigger picture of this in case you don't have it. <clears throat> now, we don't know that the letter itself was written to the church in Ephesus, and that's a longer conversation. It's historically been labeled this way. What we do know is when Paul wrote letters, he wrote them to general areas, and they got cycled around. And over time, the letters that really remained seemed to apply for the larger body of the people of Christ, so they became the Bible that way, that basically it applied to every church, not just one. But it helps to know Paul's story in Ephesus because it explains a little bit of what he's saying. And I just want to give you a picture of the timing of this because you'll know what Paul's been through to even cause him to say this. So there's another letter. It's actually a book called the Book of Acts. It's within the Bible. It's the same length as many letters. It's just not called that. And that's a bit of the history of the early church. And once we get to chapter 19, Paul ends up in Ephesus. Now, in case you don't know, not that you would know where Ephesus is, but it's in southern Turkey, uh, really just in the bottom corner of Turkey. It was a major city in the ancient Roman world, a huge city, a couple hundred thousand people, a major metropolis, a major influence, a cross-section of where things went back and forth through the entire empire. So Paul ends up in Ephesus, it tells us. This is before the letter's written. And he gets there, and it says he spends the first three months basically in the synagogue, and it says, arguing for the kingdom. Now, the way we think of arguing today is kind of disproving and mic drop moments and all that, and that's not what it means. It means Paul is reasoning with people about how this is true and why it's true that Jesus actually rose and what it means for everybody. So, and what's happening during these first few months is people are starting to come and want to follow Jesus, and there's supernatural, and there's reason, and all these things start going on in Ephesus. And it tells us over the next few years, he spends all this time there basically pouring into the lives of these early Christ followers. And all this stuff changes. Now, in the midst of it, he is loved and hated, loved and hated. And it will ultimately lead to his leaving Ephesus under some duress. We'll come back to that later because they want to take him out. He's done some things that are really torquing some of the people there. I want to give you just the end of the Ephesus story because it will lead us to when he writes this. He comes back later, a little bit south of Ephesus, to a city called Miletus, and asks the leaders of Ephesus to come there a little bit to have time with them without everybody seeing and knowing. And this is a very tender moment because Paul basically says to them, I love you guys. I love all of you. And God's told me everywhere I go, I end up suffering for him because when I bring about or ask him to bring about the things he's doing, it seems to make people angry and they want to take me out. But I've recognized that suffering and glory go together. And he gives this bid of goodbye, knowing he's going to Rome. That's where his goal is, is to get to tell the emperor, uh, but I'll probably never see him again. So he has this very tender moment of leaving them, and his suffering is for their benefit. That's the picture I want you to see, is everything he's going through is knowing, I'm doing this in laboring because what God wants to do in his people and in the world takes suffering to bring glory. They're connected. And so now he's writing this letter, whether directly to Ephesus or to the whole area, while he's sitting in Rome in prison. That's all I wanted you to understand through all this. So when he's saying this, don't be discouraged. You probably hear him in Rome and things aren't going well. I'm telling you, something great is coming from the mess of what I'm going through. 
That's where he begins, or ends, I should say. Now we want to ask the question of if he's there, what did he say that led him there and why did he say this? So I want to start with where he starts. And he says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's where he starts in chapter 3. This is a guy who's leading all sorts of people, all sorts of places, and his posture is servitude, which is a side note. It's not where we're going today, but it tells us all something as Christians. We are not in this for power, prestige, or hierarchy. We are people that are to serve the Lord. I don't know for you, but that is so incredibly comforting to me. Do you know how exhausting it is to try to have power? Especially when you're 5'8", you're not very strong anyway. It really doesn't help a lot. It's exhausting. Letting go and going, God, how about you be God and I serve you? That's the beginning. And then he says, I am a servant of the Lord for the Gentiles. Now, we'll come back to what all that means, but it means he's missionally moving out because part of what God's inviting him to do is help people know who he is because he's supposed to help them become his too and become this new family, not just individually, but connected together because the space between is going to bring a power through all of them. And that's where he's moving into as he's talking about it. And then he uses one more statement that we're going to look at as we continue through this passage. He calls what God's doing a mystery. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of mystery, but growing up, I thought of Scooby-Doo. Then as I got older, I thought of Nancy Drew, and I couldn't think of a third rhyme, so that's all I could think about. With the, with the. Now, mysteries we tend to think of as something to be solved. A mystery is something I don't understand, that if I get enough information, I can now make sense of it. That's how we think of it. That is not what this means or what Paul means. What he means by mystery is something you cannot explain and cannot fully understand, but the more you discover it, the more profound it becomes. <sighs> Come on. That's awesome, isn't it? Do you know it's a mystery that suffering and glory go together? It doesn't sound good, but the more we discover it, the more powerful it becomes. Now, he's talking about something bigger than this, but one of the pieces for me I get so sad in the life of the church is we tend to rationalize and reason faith to a point that if we can't explain it and if we can't put it to a place where it all makes sense perfectly, it can't be true. And that is just not accurate. Because, man, we see things that God does that make no sense. And I'm so glad they don't. And so he's saying, my job is to help you discover this mystery, this unexplainable thing God is doing and then the last part of this early section, and then we'll get actually into the text. I'm just summarizing the first few verses. Is He says, it is actually the spirit that's doing something new. So when Jesus rises, he gives people his Holy Spirit as they follow him. And the spirit in people and the spirit around us is breathing and doing something new that's never been done before. And now Paul's going to continue to explain that in verse 6. <clears throat> he says, this mystery that is through the gospel... And we use the word gospel a lot in a lot of places. If you haven't been around church, it very simply, all we mean by this is the gospel is, they call it good news. It's just the reality that God actually came in the flesh in Jesus. He lived. He died. By his death, sins are paid for, those who want to respond. He rose again to give new life and to give us his spirit and to live differently and to change the world. That's a pretty powerful gospel. I always struggle that it's called good news. It should be an unbelievable, awesome, unexplainable news, but you get the idea. He says this gospel is that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members 
together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And then he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. In other words, I didn't figure it out. I didn't do it on my own. In fact, Paul was actually one trying to take out these early Christians, and God miraculously revealed himself to him. And he's going, this is not of me. What I'm sharing with you about this mystery, only God can do. So, so before I go on, I want to say this. What we're talking about today, you and I cannot do on our own. We need him to help us. It's not a kind of family or achievement you and I can have. Now, it's going to sound simple. Oh, the Jews and Gentiles came together and they're one. That's easy. That's simple. Is it? Can we agree that is a very difficult thing? How many people can you get together with and stand in community with? Any chance that number is shrinking day by day of late, particularly? I mean, it's a very hard thing. And it can be removed because we go, well, we're not Jews and Gentiles. We don't call anybody Gentile. We'd, where we live, we might say melting pot, but we wouldn't say Gentiles and certainly not the Jews. But I want to give you a framework, at least for us to consider, that can make us see what it might mean today for us. So the Jews are the ones with which Messiah is to come. And when Jesus came, for some, they actually thought, oh, the Messiah came. This is what we expected. He's here for us. In fact, early Jews that followed Jesus just helped other Jews find him because they thought God came to make Israel their nation and let the rest of the world kind of see who he is through that. Like it was for them, for others to watch. That was kind of the, the many saw it. So even what Paul is saying is confusing. But I want you to consider it this way. The Jews are the religious, moralistic people of the day. They're saying if you live like us, if you do the things we do in the Jewish way that God will be pleased with, then you can be his people. In other words, if we look at it today, we could equate ourselves who are in the church that think of ourselves more moralistically and more like we're living right and people outside of us are living wrong. And if they'd only jump in. In fact, maybe we should build a little protection around us so we don't get infiltrated or influenced by those who are not like us. That's how the Jews saw it. I just like to call it judgy. It's kind of like, you know what, we're better than you. We didn't make it that way, God did, sorry. It sure is good to be his. That's one side. Let me take you to the Gentiles. The Roman culture allowed for all sorts of understanding. It was pluralistic beyond measure. There weren't even just different understandings of God. They had different altars and deities and all sorts of things around every city. Some cities just had their own. So the simple expectation was, it's all good. Whatever you have, it's good. And as Gentiles began to hear about Jesus, they said, well, that's good. I think Jesus is just chilling. It's all good. You should endorse and accept and think everything's great. In fact, the only thing they tend to judge are the ones that are being judgy. Stop telling us what to do. You're so judgy. But if you're telling us what to do, you're judgy. I'm not judgy of your judginess, and I, don't, I won't keep going. So there's this unconditional radical endorsement that's asked in the world there. You've got judgy and lowly, judgy and lowly. Now, here's the difficulty. Both ask something different than who Jesus is or something in addition to that. Those in this moralistic judgment say, you must follow and you must think and you must do. And in fact, I would take it a step further to go with the Jews. They wanted to you to be Jewish. There was a sense of nationalism even in it. That, well, the Jewish people are what matter. You can be part of us, but we're the ones that matter. And yet what God's calling them to, what Paul is saying to them is, you follow Jesus and you follow Jesus' way. You actually live for him. You have to let go of all those other things. Even your kind of moralistic code saying, if you don't and won't, 
you can't and shouldn't. And what they'd have to do, what we all have to do in judgmental places is surrender and sacrifice. And by the way, those things lead to suffering and glory. That's mysterious in case you don't know. But that's a part of what this new community is supposed to be, is letting go of what they've added to in order to become this new community. And, and in case you don't know, Jesus actually talked about this because he said to many of them, listen, the people you have listed, all the sin issues you've listed and said they're worse than you, they're getting into the kingdom ahead of you. In other words, your moralism has become what you attach to God and not God himself. Follow me. You're willing to let go of your demands of everyone else and just follow me because I'm going to build a community like that. Same way he takes the Gentiles. He says, guess what? You cannot do anything any way you want to and anyhow. And it's not so much a negative don't as it is a follow Jesus. Don't let anything else infiltrate that. Don't let anything else say it must be this alongside. And I want to give you one picture from Ephesus that though it, it speaks to the Gentiles, it speaks to a problem in all of the church that can happen. So towards the end of Paul's time in Ephesus, it says a disturbance broke out in the way, as it, meaning the early church. And what happens is someone who's making their income, who's overseeing it over the making of all this metal, which a lot of it is idols that are being made, realizes these craftsmen are becoming Christians and don't want to make it anymore. And Christians don't want to buy it anymore. And so it's hurting them economically. So they go to people in the church and say, Paul is confusing you and holding you wrong. You need to stop doing what, what Paul says Jesus wants you to do and just accept all of it. And a huge problem breaks out. And I want to see two things. One is there's a call to keep on to what culture says you should do, which is this kind of radical endorsement of everything. And the second is it's economic. And, and we might grab some things, but I don't know if we've realized how often the church struggles because following Jesus might be to our economic despair. In other words, it might hurt your pocketbook in your future. And I don't mean give us money. I mean live differently. And so each of those are examples, no matter where you come from, that ultimately this is about following Jesus, knowing Jesus, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. We might just say it this way. God's family, it lives and loves differently. And you, in that, you will be challenged on the places you judge and on the places you live lowly, saying nothing can be judged. <laughs> because you'll be challenged to follow him and not add to him and not take away from him. It's powerful what Paul is giving us a picture of just in that statement. Now, he continues. Although I'm less than the least of the apostles of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. I just, I want you to hear Paul's posture. Do you hear arrogance in this? Because I don't. You know what? I'm the least. I get how broken I am and how much I've needed Jesus. And I don't know what all these other things mean, but that's who I'm following. I'll do it for whatever, to my own peril, to whatever it takes. And he says, I get the privilege of helping the church family grow, to preach to the Gentiles, to see this family get bigger and expansive. And what I'm going to do is make plain this mystery. 
And by the way, it was hidden before Jesus came. You know, we live in a time after he came, we get to know it. And we get to live it. That's wild, isn't it? There's a mystery that God waited for through Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection that he's now giving, and he wants all of us to get it. Somehow these two groups of people coming together to live differently, and now Paul will describe it in a greater detail where it reaches kind of its culmination. His intent was that now through the church, I've been struggling so much lately with how we think that God's going to change the world through, fill in some other blanks in there. What he's saying is God's intent is that through the church, the people of God, the new family, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Manifold wisdom is one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture about the way Paul describes the church. So manifold wisdom, just one of the many images, is an image manifold is like, just think of a whole palette of colors. And manifold means all of the palette of what there is out there together. The manifold wisdom means every colorful way you can think of it, it's being displayed and dispensed. In other words, all that God is is seen, guess what, through the church, through his new family, through somehow when people in places of judgment and people in places of lowly, kind of everything is all good, come together and find a new way of living in him that his manifold wisdom is revealed. This is how strongly Paul sees it. You want to know how much it impacts? It says, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Jesus, our Lord. In other words, when the church lives the way it intends to live or God intends for it to live, heaven notices. And not just heaven, the powers of heaven notice. Now, when you think of something being so amazing that everyone notices, if you're like me, you think of some big event. On the negative side, you'd think cataclysmically. On the positive, you'd think this earth-shaking event that everybody sees and it's profound and we'd have a soundtrack behind it and there'd be replays on it and TikToks on it and everything going on about it because it'd be so amazing. But what I want you to picture is the manifold wisdom of God are different kinds of people that actually learn to set aside the way they think things should be, to live and love like Jesus, to live and love differently. And that somehow when that happens, the space between us becomes connected and we somehow live and love in a way you and I cannot in the natural. Heaven sees it. You realize that's amazing, don't you? You'll figure it out later and you'll get excited. I know you will. It's unbelievable. I've been pondering this and not thinking, all of us have these tendencies, don't we? We all have tendencies of judginess and lowliness. You know, how many of us have tried to live a really good moral life? We try to do well. We try to make things comfortable. We try to move life in a better direction, always more comfortable, more enjoyment, less pain, keeping ourselves insulated from struggle. And we typically get to a place where we look out at others and we go, they're lowly, they're culturally tainted, They think and live and talk wrong. Do you hear the call of God? Let it go. Love differently. Why don't you start loving me and see what that does in those relationships? Why don't you love differently and see them the way I see them? Why don't you see your own brokenness more and stop trying so hard 
and stop attaching other things to me, even good things to me, that what these others need is me, not your rule book and your line drawing. I wonder how many of us, you only look down on people that look down on you. <laughs> Have you ever had this, I accept everyone except that people don't accept everyone? Wait, that's not accepting everyone. What you're saying is I accept people as long as they endorse everyone. And, and you're, you'll, many of us do this, we, we kind of want endorsement of everything to say everything's good. If, if I'm made this way, it's who I am and we forget you and I are image bearers but we're broken through sin and lots of what we have is a mess, true? So guess what, just endorsing everything will never bring people what they want or need, it will just bring a different kind of hollowness. And when we're wired this way, we gotta worry about two things. One is we don't look at the people who judge and go, well, I'm not like them, they're the bad guys. Or look and say everything I endorse is the way Jesus sees it. Because I'll tell you at either end of these, these polls, at the end of the day, what we're saying is, are you going to follow Jesus? That, that's what I want to know. You know, very rarely when I hear judgment and anger, is Jesus actually brought up? <laughs> Even when people bring up good issues, they're kind of bringing up their view on it, how it should be, and how bad people are if they think differently. What if our conversations are about Jesus and how Jesus would want us to act and love and live towards people around us? So what Paul's saying is when you learn to be this amazing manifold wisdom where the palette is all there and you learn to love people that are different from you and you learn to live differently in that and you learn to live expansively because in case you didn't get this, all that Paul's saying too is we gotta be helping other people discover this. Like this isn't a nice little corner we're in. This is a missional life that we're deployed to to get to be this manifold wisdom to the people around us. You wanna know when heaven moves? It moves when it sees the way you are with your coworker that's actually living in a way to bless and love and care for whether they ever respond or not because you want to bring who Jesus is to them and you want them to, but you're going to love them either way. You know what? It's loving people that think very differently than you, not having to be right, not having to constantly argue about things, but finding a way to be present in those places and loving in those places. I will tell you this. Most people that struggle with judgment are probably really hard on themselves. And what I find is people who are very judgmental are also probably self-judgmental. And maybe what they need more is grace. This is a powerful invitation. It's one I am so enamored by what the church can be. And I'll ask it this way. Any of you, can you do this on your own? Do you think, oh, yeah, I, I never thought that way. I'm going to be loving now and live differently. Because I would tell you, can't do it. I have no idea how to love you. And don't say, yes, I know. But I know God's presence in my life changes that. When I ask him, would you help me to see this person differently? When I ask him, I don't know what to do about the growing hostility among us and the polarizing way we can't even talk about an event that happens. But man, I know him. And I want to talk about him instead of this. And I love people and the differences about this to know him. That's manifold wisdom. That's something powerful and profound. And Paul kind of gives the exclamation to this as he continues. Hey, in him and through faith, in him, we can approach him with freedom and confidence. In other words, you're not on your own. <laughs> hey, I know, you, I know it feels overwhelming. You're not on your own. He's actually here to help you. You can't do it by yourself. 
And this is when he ends. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Here's the mystery. Mystery is very simply this. You know what? They're suffering in their glory and they work together and the space between us is to be connected. And by the way, the space between us is supposed to grow and it's a mystery how it does through this manifold wisdom of people that know in our differences somehow following him, he changes how we love each other and gives us passion to reach out to help others to go. If we live in a culture like this that's showing that of God, do you think we want to tell other people about it? What's the best thing you could give the people around you in anything they're going through if this is true? Man, you got to come to my family. Yeah, we got crazy uncles and crazy aunts, and I'm going to look crazy. But man, it's a good crazy. Jesus is at the center of it, and we are people enamored with who he is. Not constricting and drawing, not saying everything's great, saying he's great. And whatever he wants, I'll surrender to that. I'll sacrifice for that. I'll suffer for that. Because somehow that will get heaven's attention and change the world around us in ways nothing else can. Because his family lives and loves differently. Now as we finish up, I'm going to give you a few simple things that you can do. But at the heart behind it, it's are you willing to ask for God's help? Are you willing to let him examine your heart where maybe you are judgy or maybe you are lowly? Are you willing to ask him to help you to love the people that you're most annoyed and irritated by? Are you willing to ask him to help the people that are most annoyed and irritated by you to love you? Oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, you should. Are you willing to ask him to give the full palette of his manifold wisdom to change the world through a bunch of people in a city nobody even knows about? What if heaven moved from a little city in West Michigan, a series in a region in West Michigan, by the way, Jesus and the church didn't have any influence in Rome. No power. Changed the world. What if that's how God wants to change us? So I'm going to invite you to respond more in a heart level, but I also want to just give you a couple simple things that are steps to take. And one relates to how we reach out to the people around us, how we become, I don't want to say to our own Gentiles, but the people who are wandering and far from God. We talk about blessing your friends your relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and coworkers. And the reason we categorize this way is it's just a way for you to think about who in your life around you might God be pointing out just to pay attention to. See, when Paul said, I preached to the Gentiles, he didn't mean I just stand up and do things like I tell him who Jesus is. He went and ministered to. He went and loved. He went and prayed for healing. He went and walked with their coworkers, their neighbors, they're family, you see. They're friends. They're people you hang out with with your kids. They're people you hang out with in your singleness. They're the people you work with. When we say blessed, there's a whole acrostic to it, but all I'll tell you today is, what if you just started by praying for them regularly? Ask them what they need prayer for. Do you know that God moves in your prayers? Keep checking in. Why don't you ask, what's one thing I could do to care for them, to actually bless them? We want you to take steps, and we think this changes us too. And then I will tell you something communally we're doing we have this four-week process we call the journey, and it's kind of a way to fully engage yourself in our family. And so we're going to do two of those weeks at one time on kind of a way to be part of his family on Tuesday, August 30th at six, from 6 to 8 at each campus. So I'd love to invite you to be part of that too. So listen, if you have not fully engaged with us, engage on those day, that day. It'll turbocharge and jump you into what we're doing and who we are. 
And then I just want to pray for us. And we're going to have a little time to worship and a little time to respond with communion uh, simply as a way to go, it's not just information I shared with you. God has to kind of let that marinate. What does he want to say to you? So let me pray and let us respond. Oh, Lord, I ask wherever people are today, however you want to invite them, that they'd respond today to you. I pray for any among us, Lord, that are not following you, that have not before, that they'd hear your very invitation. I love you. I'm running after you. I died for you. Lord, I'm asking that they would even say, Lord, forgive me and let me follow you. Help me follow you. And they would hear the very whisper of your presence going, I love you. I made you like no one else to be part of a new kind of family that will change the world like no one else connected to them. And then, Lord, in our own lives, as we do follow, soften our hearts. Help us to both receive better and give better in how we love. And, Lord, help us to become the very manifold wisdom of you in how we live and love one another. I ask this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. Carter's going to lead us in worship. And I want you to consider it as we sing the words as what might God be saying to you both through the song and even as we're reflecting on the scripture. And then I'll guide us through communion and we'll finish in worship as well. scaled all the highest of mountains I stood at the edge of their peace but I still couldn't see to the edge of your love for me I walked on the wildest of waters and I sunk to the depths of the sea I still couldn't fathom the depths of your love for me so canyons wide canyons wide oceans deep can't contain all your love for me no matter how high or far Just when I thought it was darkest, sun began to rise. Oh, canyons wide, oceans deep, can't contain all your love for me. No matter how high, far high. Let me have you be seated for just a few minutes. Hopefully when you came in, you took a cup that has the bread and the drink in it. If you didn't, don't worry about it or feel badly. Just when you come in next time, we want you to grab it. We celebrate communion when we come together. And we do this regularly as the church has done through all of its history because communion is a centering activity. It centers us on who Jesus is and what he's done and what he means to us individually and collectively. 
On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. And Paul later tells us that the bread is meant to be an image that you and I are one loaf. In other words, we are the manifold wisdom of God as in our different ways of living, we come together to be his church. So when we take of the bread, we're reminded of him being the center of it. We're also reminded that you and I, the space between us is connected as his. Let's take of the bread. When Jesus, after he'd given the bread, he held out the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, when you take it, you remember me. And I want us to think about the cup on two areas. One is the way we receive, because this will help all of those areas where we kind of judge each other or look at each other with disdain for not caring the way we do. Because the cup is about forgiveness. And in case you don't know, we all need it. <laughs> and Jesus isn't looking going level five, level three. He's looking at us going, it's all dark. And I love all of you that much. And so when we drink it, we're reminded of how we're given. But we also drink of it to be reminded we're invited and called as the church to be deployed out to help others discover this same joy of being forgiven. That's what we give to other people. Let's take of the cup. So Lord, I ask you to seal the time in this sacrament that whether we feel it or not, you would impart your presence freshly in your kindness, your grace, your mercy to us. Now let's stand as we conclude our time in worship and ask God to help you experience the very words you sing of how much he loves you and loves us.
my prayer is you would sense how deeply the Lord loves you. And it would fill you in such a way that you begin to sense how deeply he loves those around you. Those most different than you. Those most difficult for you. That God would change and open your heart to a way to live and love differently in this expansive family that we're becoming called the church. I don't know of a better place to be or a better group to be with than that. People needing and loved by him and loving others that way. Powerful. Now, before I give you a blessing, I want to let you know, 5 o'clock tonight, we're going to celebrate baptism. The event is listed on our website, so you can see where it is. And I'm going to just push you a little bit on the don't go, well, I don't know that person or I don't know this. This is our family. We want you there. Don't you want to celebrate big moments in the life of the family? Yes. Maybe even come and go unmixed about it, but God, give me some excitement for this. Come and hang out with us. We'd love that. And then I, I just want to tell you this one thing, a little message plus. Uh, and then I'll give you a blessing. Don't worry, it won't be long. But um, it's a funny thing, but for, to become the church God intends us to be, we will be criticized. We'll be criticized for not being strong enough and harsh enough, and we'll be criticized for not being welcoming enough and endorsing enough. And I just want you to understand this. I don't care. I, I, I'll live with criticism because it's for him. Like, if you think that everyone's going to be happy, they're not. But we're following him, we're not following them. And I just want to remind you, that will be part of our journey in this. So let me have you place your hands out. I want to give you a blessing. You're welcome for the harshness at the end. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. Oh, may he help you to see how much he loves you, that you'd become enamored with him. May he soften you where you're harsh. And may he help you to be strong where he calls you to things you never wanted to or ha want to have to deal with. And may you become part of his manifold wisdom as we live and love differently for his glory and our joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.